You're listening to episode 58 of the Room to Grow podcast. I'm Emily Goff, a holistic nutritionist and women's lifestyle coach living in Hamilton, Ontario in Canada. And here on the Room to Grow podcast, I bring you thoughts or guests in areas of nutrition, mindset, lifestyle, and entrepreneurship that will help you gain confidence so you can stress less and elevate yourself to create the life you love. We are not here to do things perfectly, but we are here to learn from each other and to grow with lots of self-love and compassion along the way. Let's get started. Hey there, welcome back to the Room to Grow podcast. And today's guest is so special. I reached out to her on Instagram and I had my fingers crossed that she would want to come on and she did, and I could not be more pumped to share her with you. We are talking today to Topsy Vandenbosch, who is a licensed master social worker. She's also a business coach for female entrepreneurs, and she really empowers female bosses in discovering freedom from negative thoughts and beliefs that prevent them from performing at their highest level in their work and their personal lives. So she also has a second business and she has been a mental health therapist for the past seven years. She owns a private practice on the West side of Michigan. And in her role as a mental health therapist, she really specializes in providing therapy to career focused women who are struggling with inner confidence and their overall emotional wellness. I swear Topsy has lived an entire lifetime already in her various work experience. And that was one of the reasons why I enjoyed talking to her so much because she comes to us with such a, a balanced and uh, well-rounded experience of all different walks of life and mental health. She just has an absolute wealth of information that she's sharing with us. And we get into things like anxiety, how it can show up for female entrepreneurs, along with the differences between anxiety and stress or worry some sneaky ways that anxiety can manifest and some of the potential benefits and uh, maybe even dangers of having that label as well. We cover boundaries between coaching and therapy, which is something I'm always constantly aware of in my, in my coaching. And I'm really excited that we dig into that a lot. Uh, We talk about how feelings are not facts and how to be more objective when our self-criticism comes knocking and how to deal with the isolation that comes with the age of social media. Whether you're an entrepreneur or not, we've talked about this on the podcast before that we're living in an age where depression and loneliness are higher than ever. And I'm really excited to get Topsy's thoughts on this and to really dig into it a huge amount. So I'm not going to hold things up any longer because I want to get to it. And honestly, I could have talked to Topsy all day. So I'm really pumped to share this with you. And I know that you're going to get so much out of it, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you are a stressed out mom, there's so many different ways to take this and apply it to your own life. So let's get going. I am over the moon to get to introduce to you Tammy Tope Vandenbosch, also goes by Topsy, but I wanted to make sure that we gave her full, beautiful name uh, today. And thank you so much for being here, Topsy. I'm, I'm just, I'm so excited. <laughs> Yay, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you reaching out on the Instagrams. I really appreciate it. So thank you. And I'm excited to be here. Oh, well, I love your Instagram stories. And it's funny, I, I was introduced to you um, through uh, Diane Sanfilippo and the Balanced Bites podcast. And I listened to it more than once. And I just <laughs> I look for your stories every day on Instagram. It's just the best. So I am Yay. just so pumped to have you. So please tell us a little bit about you 
and your background and kind of how you got to where you are today, because you have just the most fascinating history in terms of how you ended up where you are now. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I got my bachelor's in social work, um, and that was in 2010. I went to a small liberal arts um, private college in, I think, like southeastern Michigan. Uh, I'm awful with directions. So anyways, <laughs> <laughs> it's just close to Toledo, Ohio. <laughs> so I could drive to Toledo. Um, it would take me like 45 minutes or so from my college that I lived in, maybe where I went. And so I went there, got my bachelor's in social work. My mom is a social worker currently, and my dad is um, a sociologist. And um, I got my love for people from them. I originally thought I was going to go to college and go into business, but God had other plans. I didn't do well in math, girl. So uh, my parents sat me down and they said, you know what? you probably should think about a different career. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember that. I remember that talk and they asked me if I enjoyed people, if I liked what my mom did for a living. And I said, you know what? I had never thought about it. And um, I decided to go into social work and it's been history since then. I fell in love with it. I fell in love with um, working with people and um, looking at the whole person, not just, um, you know, the traditional, like, um, you know, therapy where back in the day they would just look at um, what they were struggling with currently and how to help them work through things. Um, I like that social work. I first well, I could do so many different things with it, including one-on-one -on -one therapy, but I would have that education base to know that, you know what, you know, socioeconomically, there are different struggles that people have that can prevent them sometimes from being able to do one-on-one -on -one therapy. And so you can still serve them in other ways if you so wish. So I really liked that looking at the whole person. And I decided to get my master's in social work. And um, so I can do more clinical practice, more one-on-one -on -one therapy work. And um, from there, I worked in so many different settings. I worked as a social worker in the ER, which I loved. Um, so in that um, area, I would, I did that contingent like on the side, um, but I loved it because it was emergency, you know, obviously it's the ER. So it was very much like quick dopamine hit of what's going on with this person? Um, what do I need to help? You know, what problem do I need to help solve? So I've always had like a problem solving mentality. Um, and so from there, I would kind of triage them from and determine whether or not they needed inpatient mental health, um, psychiatric hospitalization or substance abuse residential or re referral to, you know, any services if they were homeless um, or if they just needed to be discharged home. And so I was able to do that great work in the ER. I worked in a residential um, treatment um, substance abuse setting. I assisted in developing a 30, 60 um, or 90 day substance abuse inpatient program for teens. So I did that for um, over two years and that was an amazing experience and I got to interact a lot with the juvenile justice system and see the beauty of it and to see, you know, some of the shortcomings of it. So that was a great experience. I worked uh, as a case manager in um, Flint, Michigan. And um, I worked with individuals who struggled with severe to persistent mental illnesses. And that was um, definitely eye-opening. And um, Flint, has, Flint has so much beauty. Um, and then there's also obviously some corruption and um, some socioeconomic um, 
struggles there. So I had a really great well-rounded, well-rounded experience, but um, I had to leave that particular position just because of some incidents that happened when I was there. So um, what else? Um, I've done so many different things in social work. Um, I worked in the outpatient um, community mental health. I, this, is, this was also on the side. I worked in their adult um, emergency services or emergency services period. And um, both, I believe both um, youth and adults would come through there and I would figure out what services they needed. Um, and so that was a lot of um, fun because it was um, very fast paced and I could use my problem solving skills and my clinical skills in that way and figure out what services people needed. Um, and, it, and it was on a short term basis. So burnout for me was very low because I was dealing with something different constantly, although doing the same type of work, but you just never knew who was going to walk through the door. So that was wonderful. Um, and, um, Eventually, I ended up doing outpatient individual therapy, which was great. When I moved to the west side of Michigan, I got married to my wonderful Dutch and Italian husband. Um, <laughs> I love <laughs> he it. He moved me to the very strict, conservative west side of Michigan, and um, I ended up doing some outpatient individual therapy work at um, for a hospital system, and that was great, but I just felt like I needed to experience more, and so I decided to work in the prison and uh, a men's prison. And um, that was a very eye-opening um, experience. Um, it was great in a lot of ways, and it was just devastating in a lot of ways, but I really got to see, um, you know, our criminal justice system and how fair and also unfair it can be. So I saw the duality um, of it while I was working there. And in that capacity, I was a therapist and also a case manager. And so um, that was very interesting. I did enjoy my time, but I would never work there again. <laughs> um, so yeah, so and then now it kind of led me to and after that experience, um, at some point during that, I ended up getting <laughs> a school social work certificate. Um, I didn't have to go back to school to get that. I just could, well, I, I just could take some classes online. So I decided to do that because I've always just been a student of the world and I wanted, I wanted to do everything in social work and I felt like I really got to do that. So I ended up being an overachiever and <laughs> I got my school social work certificate just in case <laughs> I ever um, needed it. Uh, so I have that for whatever that's worth, but um, yeah. And I also got my, um, certified advanced, um, alcohol and drug abuse certification, which just means that I have an additional certification to show that I have the training needed to be able to work with individuals who struggle with, um, uh, co-occurring, um, substance abuse, um, concerns and issues, um, substance abuse and dependency concerns and issues. So I really have a lot of history doing a lot of different things. And then um, my friend's mother invited me to, um, you know, try out private practice. I, I know it was always one of my goals, but it wasn't something that was immediately at top of mind when I was at the prison. But then when I decided I was going to leave the prison, it was like, okay, well, like, what am I going to do now? I've done everything. <laughs> um, and so it kind of led me naturally, I think, to start owning my own business. And so I was so blessed to have been provided that opportunity um, and uh, my confidence soared and I ended up opening up my own office while still um, having an office there and um, yeah so that's what I've been doing ever since and then probably about a year ago I launched my um, coaching practice 
And in my coaching practice, I work with um, female entrepreneurs. I'm a mindset coach and um, I help them overcome um, limiting beliefs, negative thought patterns, um, confidence issues that they have. They're keeping them from playing big in their business um, and are keeping them small. Um, so I work with them on their mindset and in my therapy practice, so my other business, I help female entrepreneurs who are struggling with um, mild to severe depression and anxiety. So I really love that I'm able to serve women, but in two totally different capacities. So I hope that that was <laughs> a good uh, run on, extremely run on sentence about what it is I do and how, how I got here. No, I'm so glad that you gave all the details because I really want people to understand how much work you have done, how much experience you are drawing on, and just how much you've had to bust your ass to get where you are. <laughs> like, I, I am almost exhausted just listening to your story, like, in the best possible way, though. No, yeah, I'm exhausted I'm too. Blown away. Oh my gosh, like, I cannot believe how much you have, like, Girl, you aren't that old. I can't believe you <laughs> no, managed to I'm get not this old in. at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not old at all, but I feel like I've lived a lifetime. <laughs> you have. Oh my goodness. I'm so just excited to be able to draw on all of your amazing experience for this because thank this you. Is why I was so pumped to have you on the podcast because I just I have never, I don't think I've ever actually had the, the opportunity to speak to someone who has this much amazing experiences oh, yes. so many different areas so this is just amazing i would Thank love so to know much. like out of everything that that you mm -hmm. have done what brought you to having the most interest in like uh i know you said that in your practice you're still doing yeah. things like like depression and anxiety and yeah. also like mindset issues for female entrepreneurs what what brought you to that throughout that entire journey well i think it was just a natural progression i think i was craving I I feel like I had made an I feel like I'd made an impact in my career with all these different populations because I was passionate about all of them and you know I still am like if God forbid um, my private practice were to fold I would have no problem going back and doing any of that work because I think it's just so needed and I love it so much but um, I think what led me to this was that I noticed that um, there was a huge gap of people who just do not identify as necessarily having a clinical disorder who wouldn't meet criteria for a clinical disorder. In fact, I probably had friends that they wouldn't, you know, just from talking to them, obviously I'm not their therapist, but just from talking to them, there wasn't anything that I could see where they could have, I mean, anyone can benefit from a therapist, but do they have a diagnosable um, condition? I don't know, you know? And so it was like, okay, so if a person doesn't have a diagnosable condition, doesn't really identify with having a clinical disorder that's preventing them from being able to function um, at, their, at their highest capacity in their daily life, how do they still get served? You know, how are they getting served? And I started seeking out online. I just started typing in like mindset um, and I would type in like mindset coach. Um, and it's so funny because I thought I was like so original. <laughs> and so <laughs> I was like, Hmm, like, I wonder, are there any, you know, therapists that are becoming coaches? And I did see that there were some, but I wasn't able to find a ton that I felt like we're doing it ethically and super responsibly until I found my current mindset coach, um, Kate Krakow. She's amazing. She was a therapist and then she fully transitioned to becoming a mindset coach and helping, and helping these women who don't identify as having 
um, this diagnosis of anxiety or depression, um, but they still struggle with like confidence issues in regards to their business and like self-esteem in regards to their business and how to talk about their business with other people. And so I was like, you know what? I knew that I was missing this whole group of people that I wasn't seeing in my practice because not everybody has a diagnosis and that's okay too. And they still deserve, they still deserve to get served, even if they don't quite um, fit into that box. So I wanted to make sure to um, be able to fill that gap. Um, and, you know, I, that's, that's what led my, that's what led me to my decision of launching that business is that I felt like I had so much to give. And I felt like this could also be a really good way to prevent, to prevent burnout also. I wasn't feeling burnt out in my fields, but I'm not naive to think that it could never happen. I'm sure that it could. So I wanted to add another diverse aspect of my business where um, it was something else that lit me up, completely different part of my brain than what I use um, in my therapy practice. And I wanted to be able to offer the wealth of information and experience that I have with entrepreneurs who may not otherwise even need to traverse into the therapy world. I really think that that's powerful in and of itself. The fact that you recognize that you wanted to add in another layer and, and diversify with something that lights you up because yes. you're trying to prevent burnout because that's one of the biggest issues for female entrepreneurs. I feel yes. even more so than for males. Yeah. It's the women that are trying to juggle everything despite yes. the fact that it's 2018 and whatever. We're for all sure. still trying to juggle. Like, you know, I'm not a mom, but, but motherhood right, I know right. is something for a lot of women we're trying to keep all the balls in the air and yes. we feel so guilty when we can't make it all happen and we're wondering yes. what's happening. And then that's when we're getting things like anxiety and depression and we're not exactly. able to continue building our businesses. Right. So I think that's incredibly powerful. Just you recognizing that in yourself. And I'm, I'm sure that you, that you transfer that to the people that you work with as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I do my best to, <laughs> I do my best to, that's for sure. <laughs> well, and, and another thing that you touched on there, we were talking about this uh, just before we jumped on and I, I'm, you, you suggested it to me and I'm so excited that you did because I want to talk about the difference between coaching and therapy because yeah. it is an incredibly fine line. And I, I struggle with this because I have started in the past few months talking much more openly about my own issues with anxiety and sure. personal experiences. And I have a, a criminology um, and psychology background um, education wise. So it's of huge interest to me and I see so many people struggling with it, but I'm always concerned that people are either going to view me as some sort of therapist or that I will come across as I'm trying to play the role of therapist. And that's, that's a huge mm -hmm. issue for me. I have almost um, sometimes struggled with coming out with certain offerings or programs because yeah. I want to make sure that I'm not crossing that line in any way. So I would yeah. love to hear your thoughts more on that around, around the boundaries yeah. that have to come up and, and have to happen in that regard and, and the differences between you know, coaching and, and uh, therapy. Yeah, for sure. Um, so in therapy, um, so in therapy, these individuals, um, male, you know, male, female, however you identify, they are clinically, um, they struggle with clinically diagnosable um, <clears throat> 
um, emotional struggles, whether it be anxiety, whether it be depression, whether it be something um, more severe, and they struggle with something that's clinically diagnosable, which means that we could go to the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, that is the DSM, that's what therapists use to diagnose individuals, and we could go there and it would help us understand what this person is struggling with. And if they meet criteria, that is, if the symptoms they're experiencing match up with something, with some disorder that's in there. So that's the most easiest um, way for me to put that. So individuals in therapy struggle with something that's clinically diagnosable and it's preventing them from either going to work, leaving the house, interacting with family and friends. Um, um, there's probably physiological symptoms. So that could be um, possibly like stomach aches, constant headaches, feeling constantly lethargic. Um, <clears throat> So there's physiological symptoms, there's that the social aspect where it's affecting every aspect of your life, that particular disorder or issue, um, and it's preventing you from living your best life, pretty much, is taking over. Um, you're finding it difficult to think. Um, you might have possible panic attacks. You might have depression episodes where it's difficult to leave the bed. So to some degree, this disorder, it just all it means is that this particular issue has taken over your these different areas of your life and you're not able to function at your highest capacity. So I hope that made sense. Yes. Um, I hope that made sense and that was simplistic enough and not too full of jargon because I can talk in some jargon and I really have to catch myself <laughs> because I really don't mean to. <laughs> no, 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 that um, made perfect sense. That was a beautiful explanation. So then with coaching, so with coaching, um, from what from, from my perspective, from what I've seen, from what I've researched, um, you are working with people who are objectively healthy. So from what it is that you, that you can see or maybe another professional can see, there's nothing clinically diagnosable about what it is that they're struggling with. There's not situational anxiety. There's not situational depression going on. They just maybe have a little bit of this and a little bit of that. <laughs> um, but it's not diagnosable. Um, they are not being diagnosed with treatment by the coach um, and seen as needing support and guidance. Um, they, they just, they need a, a different level of care, which just means most of the time coaching is related back to something having to do with their business. It's something a lot more tangible. Um, I know that there's definitely life coaches who deal with any and everything. So in this, I'm only talking specifically about business coaches because I think that life coaching can get really dicey really quick. So yes. life coaching, you're dealing with all areas of life and just helping them move forward. Traditionally in coaching, you're not dealing with any past wounds. You're not uncovering those wounds. You're just helping that person move forward. So coaching is more about moving forward traditionally. You're not dealing with somebody who identifies necessarily as working with you because of their struggles with mental illness or any type of mental health disorder. Um, this person has a you know pretty decent, really good coping skills, hopefully really good support system, hopefully really good handle on their emotional well-being, but there's just some areas of life that they just want to learn how to move forward. So I think that that's the easiest way to distinguish um, without the person being a clinician, whether somebody's a good candidate for um, coaching and or possibly more services. And of course, there's definitely coaches who encourage um, individuals while they're working with them, hey, you need to also be working with a therapist too, because I can't address those certain areas. I can't dig up your past. I can only help you, I help give you the tools to move forward. Um, 
So I think that where coaches sometimes fall into um, doing things that kind of imitate that of a therapist could be, um, it could be possibly giving them a treatment plan of how to deal with their anxiety. Because that's you, first of all, that's you diagnosing them. You're labeling them. You're not telling them, hey, you have some worries. You know, you have some stressors going on. But I think once you start throwing in like clinical terms that are actually in the the DSM, you start throwing out those words to people, it can kind of give off to that person without you meaning to, oh, this person's giving me tools to cope with my anxiety. Now, is anxiety a universal word? And we can say like, oh, you know, I'm going to take these CBD drops, deal with my anxiety. Sure. But when you're in the coaching capacity, I just think it's good to be um, just careful about the words that you use so that the client doesn't misunderstand. Um, does that make sense? It does. It does. And, and this is, yeah. And, and this is the, the area where I struggle. I, I just recently came out with, um, like a, a five day mini course about dealing with stress and overwhelm. And yeah. I was very hesitant to even use the word anxiety. I was very careful about it. Oh, and for sure. Sometimes I'll, I'll drop it when I'm talking about my own experience because I do genuinely yeah. struggle with anxiety. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But I'm always very worried about even using the word for that exact reason that I don't, I don't want people to feel like they are going to start labeling themselves because that word is often overused. Like, oh, I have yes, anxiety about is. making it to the movie on time. Well, that's yes. not anxiety though. No, no, not at all. <laughs> so not actually all. Let, let's talk about right. the difference then between yeah. like anxiety and stress. Let, let's cover that. Yes. So, um, so stress or worry, worry is about worry, stress, overwhelm about one specific thing. Um, so for instance, um, a really good example that I always use is a person that's worried about not being able to get into the Justin Timberlake concert on time. <laughs> I would so, be worried about that too. <laughs> I'd be worried about that too. That's actually legit. And so you're worried about leaving the house on time. You're worried that your friend isn't going to be ready when you go pick her up because she stays on her own time, time frame. And so that is worry. Worry doesn't affect your whole, you know, your whole life doesn't affect your relationships with your family. You're able to think clearly. You might have like, you know, like maybe your heart rate races a little bit. You might sweat a little bit, but you're okay. Because once you get to that concert, it's resolved. It's over. You probably forget about it. So worry is about one specific thing and it's typically resolved fairly quickly there's an action plan and then it's gone it doesn't affect your relationships with yourself and other people it doesn't affect your work your sleep and yeah your relationships with friends and family it doesn't give you typically any long-standing physiological symptoms such as diarrhea nausea fatigue headache um it doesn't affect your breathing so with anxiety it's not often reality-based and it's based on what you fear could happen fear of the unknown. There are no facts to really support it um, currently. So there might have been facts before, right? So let's say you have an anxiety about flying because the last time you flew, there was turbulence. So that is, so, so that can make it seem like your anxiety is valid. It's still the fear of what could happen because guess what? That hasn't even happened yet. You haven't even gotten on the plane. You're basing that based on the past. That's not your current reality. So with anxiety, it's not reality-based. It's based on what you fear could happen. There's no facts to support it. 
currently. You're pervasively having thoughts based on what you think. And then there's physiological symptoms associated with it, such as the diarrhea, nausea, fatigue, headache, um, maybe, you know, difficulty breathing, which can lead to panic attacks, which by the way, panic attacks, nobody dies from panic attacks, unless of course you already have a pre-existing heart condition. And even with that, I think um, it just, it, that would be important to, to consult with your doctor and regarding the risk to that. But just in general, from a panic attack, you're, you're not going to die. Um, and it's not resolved quickly. The anxiety isn't. It's typically something that you just have to continue working at and continue using coping skills to deal with as it comes up. Um, it often needs medication or some type of medical intervention, even if that's just therapy and you decide to not use any type of um, uh, psychological medication, psychiatric medication. Um, so there's some type of intervention that needs to happen. Um, does that make sense? I hope that that it does. The, yeah, it does. And, and the, the one thing that I always find too, is that anxiety can manifest in really sneaky ways too. So yeah. it's not necessarily like all the physical symptoms, which I talk to people about that. Um, sometimes like just kind of doing a body scan almost and just sort of figuring out where your anxiety is manifesting because if it's not something as obvious necessarily as like nausea or diarrhea or, or, or constipation, even anything like that, it can actually like, I always notice that anxiety manifests in my stomach and I'll just do like a quick body scan. And I'm like, Oh, like my stomach is clenched. Like what's the deal? And then I figure out that I'm feeling super anxious mm -hmm. about something. Mm -hmm. So that can be a really big one. And then there's other even less obvious things like, you know, procrastination and yep. uh, like perfectionism. So yeah. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that too. Yeah, for sure. Um, so with um, procrastination and um, perfectionism, that could also be signs of, you know, possibly having some type of high functioning anxiety, which I think I talked about on the Balance Bites um, podcast. So just like you said, um, that's that person. So it can come up sneaky. So that person may not even identify as having anxiety whatsoever. So I think, of course, it's something to make sure you consult with a clinician about rather than just like, you know, typing yourself as this, but this is just something helpful. And it's another tool that you can use to determine whether or not you want to seek further um, uh, assistance with this with a professional. But um, high functioning anxiety, this person um, is type A, um, typically um, perfectionist, um, their worth is attached to what they do. So if whatever isn't perfect, if whatever they do um, isn't perfect, or however they perform isn't perfect, then they often attribute it to what does that say about me? That could be racing thoughts at night, being unable to sleep, mulling things over, overthinking, overanalyzing, um, just being really self-critical. I should have done this better. I should have done that better. There's a lot of shame-based thoughts as well that accompany um, high-functioning anxiety. So a lot of shame-based thinking patterns, um, such as, you know, it, you sucked at doing this. You, you know, you didn't do that well. You're a crappy mom because you decided to take some time for yourself um, in your room by yourself and just read a book. Um, there's a lot of shame-based thinking patterns that kind of get, um, uh, they get, that become repetitive and it becomes a part of your daily routine. And before you know it, it's just overtaken your life. And you don't even realize that this high, this high functioning aspect of you that's super, um, uh, what's the word? Goal directed, goal oriented. You seem so put together to everybody and you still are put together, but there's these other things that are manifesting themselves. And you think that it's just a part of your type A personality, but really you just struggle with anxiety and that's okay. Um, 
you pride yourself possibly in also being busy when in reality you're afraid of what could ha- what you would do if it was quiet like what would happen if i just mm. stopped being busy and i just allowed my thoughts to take over that's how you can kind of figure out whether or not you're having some anxiety based thoughts and thinking patterns so i hope that that was helpful. So that's kind of my thought when it comes to um, high functioning anxiety and how that creeps up on you. Oftentimes that person doesn't feel like they traditionally traditionally look like a person that would struggle with anxiety, whether it's stuff that they saw on TV or just their perception of mental health in general. They probably don't recognize these symptoms as being, um, you know, connected to them at all. When really, um, all of these, you know, anxiety is treatable. You just have to learn the coping skills to be able to manage it. But first, you got to accept that maybe you struggle with it. So I think that's where consulting with a professional about it could be super helpful in deciding how you want to um, treat it from there. But first, you at least got to know that th- these could be symptoms of something a little bit bigger than what you were thinking. Yes. And it wasn't until I started uh, therapy that I realized that all of these things that I was experiencing were anxiety. I just thought I was like stressed or kind of like a high stress person or after, you know, this project is done, I'll be fine. And then I wasn't, and I just wasn't connecting the dots. And I, I think that that's where it's so powerful to talk to an actual therapist or counselor who can really walk you through that. But there's also potentially, I feel like some dangers with having a label with, with what we're experiencing, not, not dangers in terms of the label itself, but potentially what we attach in our own minds to that label. So have you talked to people about that? Like what, what does that look like in your practice? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think so in my therapy practice, what that looks like is a person saying, you know, when they first meet you, And, you know, I kind of sit down with them and I do the intake session, which is where I gather just information about their life, where they grew up. Um, One of the ways that they describe themselves as, oh, you know, I've always struggled with depression and anxiety or, oh, I was diagnosed bipolar and I have borderline personality disorder. So they use that as a way to introduce themselves rather than telling them about themselves and what they actually like and enjoy. So that is to me one of the dangers of just using that as a label rather than as a tool, right? Because all the DSM is, is to give therapists the tool in which to understand and how to better help people that come to them. That's all it is. It's not meant for you to feel shame. It's not meant for you to carry around. I'm not going to say like as a badge of honor because there's nothing to be ashamed of whatsoever. But I think once you begin identifying yourself like, oh, I struggle with depression and anxiety and you, you kind of, and if you notice that you end up not really saying much more to people in regards to anything else about you, I think that's where you're labeling yourself instead of just using that as an additional tool to describe what it is that you struggle with. That's all it's meant to be. And sometimes we don't really know how to handle that information. And, um, you know, we use that to describe ourselves. And it's, to me, I think that still comes from that shame of, I just need for you to know this about me and get this out there because I'm ashamed that I have this title. Um, And it doesn't have to be that way. Um, So I think that the drawbacks to labeling is, um, number one, labeling yourself and not having any background or experience to really adequately have that perspective or to have that label. So sometimes we're labeling ourselves before we even go to a professional. So we already go to the professional with the bias because we want them to understand our own diagnosis, which doesn't make any sense, <laughs> but we do it because we know better, right? <laughs> um, 
the other danger is um, not having the tools or the emotional capacity to really deal with it. Um, sometimes we label ourselves and we kind of prevent ourselves from being able to um, fully cope with it in a healthy way because we just don't have that knowledge base. So all we know is that, oh my God, I just listened to this podcast and that sounds like me. So now what do you do? Right? And that this is just meant as an additional tool and a resource. What you do, if you have questions about it and you thought some of these things things thought um, some of these things sounded like you, is you go to a professional. Have them figure it out. That's their job. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's their job. It's not up to you to do that because for all you know, this could be completely situational because I mean, you don't, I mean, you don't know if whether, you know, your depression is because it's grief because maybe you just lost somebody. Of course, when you lose somebody, you're going to have some situational depression. It doesn't mean it's going to last forever, but it's just sadness. You're extremely sad. And, um, I think we just, it's just dangerous to label ourselves, think that we, we know better. And I'm not trying to say we're the experts on our own lives, but when it comes to that, I would just leave it to the professional. I would not, you know, venture into owning a title. And even if a professional tells you, yeah, this is what I think. I think that you struggle with this, but here's the, you know, here, here's some coping skills. Let's work, let's work on some tools to just manage it. Um, it's still not something for you to carry as a badge, you know, don't be ashamed of it, but just use that as additional tool to understand yourself better. That's all it's meant to. And it's also meant to show you that you're not alone. That's why there's even a book about it because it just shows that we're not alone. We all struggle with something. So I think that some of the dangers, not having adequate knowledge, tools or coping skills to deal with it and to deal with it um, when we're trying to figure it out on our own. Um, we may use that to describe ourselves constantly and it's not accurate and it just may not be long-term. It could just be situational. Um, the benefits to figuring out whether or not you struggle with things could be, it makes it more tangible and you can, you're able to more tangibly come up with a plan to solve it or to cope with it. You can relate to other people regarding it. So you can help other people know that they're not alone and what they struggle with in regards to it. And then you're able to seek help, you know, when you kind of can hear, oh, okay, that's something worth thinking about. I'm going to explore that with a professional. That opened the door for you to feel more comfortable to talking about it because now you know there's a way to, you know, work on this. So yeah, those are my um, thoughts in regards to labeling and some of the benefits and drawbacks. Oh, that's that so good. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's Yay. awesome. Because I, I just really feel that, um, I, I come across a lot of people, I feel like just in my everyday life, not even necessarily like professionally, but who it's, I feel like there are some people who wrap up their entire identity in yeah. a label or a diagnosis, and then they're never able to see outside of that and to see the other possibilities yeah. because they stay stuck there. And it right. is okay to be sad sometimes. It's okay to have down days. And yeah, that's why I don't like really that whole good vibes only thing that's floating oh, around yeah. social media constantly yeah. because no one is good vibes only all the time. I know. I <laughs> know. It's not like real life. Ridiculous. Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, and, and you actually mentioned, I think it was either yesterday or the day before, you were talking in your stories about that feelings are not facts. And yeah. I've, I've been hearing that from a few different sources in the online space lately, but I'd love to dig into that a little bit more and explain how we tell the difference between the two, because we so often, and I'm, I'm totally guilty of this, that I yeah. often will mistake 
feelings for facts <laughs> in no, my own sure. head. <laughs> yeah, because um, we think, therefore we feel. So if I think it, then therefore it must be true. Yes. So that's essentially what that means. So feelings aren't facts. So you're using, you're using your emotional reasoning. That's actually one of the, the um, stinking thinking, um, the thinking errors that I talk to my clients about in my therapy practice. Um, all of us use them to varying degrees and some more than others, you know. Um, so when you think I am, you know, I'm stupid or Ugh, like I must be this. And then you say, you know what, like it is true. Like I think it. So therefore, that's what it really is based on who? And based on what, <laughs> you know, like your feelings are entirely, are entirely um, subjective. They're not objective at all. So where, how are you coming at this conclusion that you're a loser or that you're this, that you're that? Because I bet you, if you talk to all, a lot of people around you that love you, they would vehemently disagree. So I think it's important to not use emotional reasoning as a way that you make decisions about yourself. Um, and so pay attention to the evidence for what it is that you feel. So if you say I am stupid or I'm such a jerk, okay, let's look at the evidence for that. What happened and, you know, kind of run through this sequence of events. So what was the situation? What happened? How did you feel? Um, what's the evidence that supports that thought? The evidence supports that thought is that, you know, I made a mistake doing this and that and somebody called me a jerk or I feel like I was a jerk. And then you look at the evidence that is against that thought. Well, there's probably a lot. There's probably a lot. You've done nice things for people. You've been super helpful to people at one point. Your, you know, your family, you know, they love you and they don't think that about you. Your kids love you and don't think that about you. Um, so more often than not, you're not a jerk. <laughs> So how can you subscribe to just that feeling of I'm a jerk when there's no real hard evidence to show that that's who you are all the time? So that's that all or nothing thinking too wrapped in that and a pretty bow where you are looking at things really black and white and you're not looking at the gray. So I think it's just important to pay attention to rational and irrational um, feelings and be able to look at the facts surrounding what it is that we feel. Um, yeah. Does that, does that kind of explain it? It does. It okay. really, really does. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, I think that's such an important distinction that so many of us, you know, when we're having the negative feelings, it's so easy to get, to get sucked down that hole of seeing yes. all of them <laughs> as opposed oh, to sure. looking outside of that and sort of looking at a little bit bigger picture. We, we get very narrow, this, this very narrow vision and we can't see anything outside of it. Yes. And so I think that's, that's really powerful. I think that probably takes quite a bit of practice to be able to do that. Oh, too, yeah. But yeah. Okay. It takes some practice, but I think it's just good to just know like, okay, just because I feel it doesn't mean that it's accurate. Yes. Yes. Well, I wanted to ask you as well, because I, and, and I, I know that there are some women listening and, and I was um, in this position for a long time as well. Do you, like, first of all, I, I'm, do you work with women who are kind of like starting their business, but they're still in their full-time job, but they're hoping to make their business their full-time gig? Um, I think on, in, in my, co in my coaching business. Yes. Yes. I think, um, I think that it would, I, I would, but I think it would depend on, um, I guess like a multitude of things because you know, a lot of individuals when they're in that space, um, sometimes there's some financial scarcity. There's just a lot of scarcity that comes up. So most mm -hmm. of the time I see that they're not in that space where they want to invest 
in a coach, but if a person was willing to invest and they were willing to um, see the bigger picture and to understand how their mindset does impact the, um, the work that they're doing and building their business, absolutely I would. But I just noticed that sometimes when we're in full-time jobs and we're working on something on the side, there's a lot of scarcity and fears that come up that prevent us from making um, investments that could help us shortcut the process. Does that make sense? It does. And, and I, I really agree because I, I experienced that myself. I, I quit my full-time job, um, oh gosh, about like six, six or seven months ago. And I, I was absolutely in that space for a long time. And I feel like it, there is so much scarcity that comes with that, but then there's also still scarcity that can happen with full-time entrepreneurship as absolutely. well. So what are like, what's some of your coaching around that? Uh, and you know, like charging what we're worth and yeah, bring in money, like, you know, though, all of those types of things, what does that look like when you're coaching women? Yeah, so for sure. So I think, yeah, so with, um, so you're saying with being in a full-time position and having and building your empire on the side, you're asking, what are some of the scarcity issues that come up or the areas or the fears that come up while they're still working in their full-time position and when they're in full-time entrepreneurship? Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, I know that, that scarcity can take, um, a little bit of a different, a little bit of a, a sort of a, a different way of appearing depending on which situation you're in. But overall, yeah. I feel like it has the same general basis that we need to sort of overcome. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, um, I think that what comes up a lot, when, especially when you're building it on the side from what I've seen is what comes up a lot is a lot of money scarcity a lot, a lot, a lot of money scarcity, because unless you have a supportive partner that makes a, you know, like a, like an income that can support the family and you building your, um, your empire. Um, I think that that ends up being a barrier. And then those feelings of, oh my gosh, what if my employer finds out? Um, uh, oh my gosh, like what if this person, you know, from high school, <laughs> sees that this is what I'm doing. Um, so I think that there's so many fears that accompany when you're accompany it when you're um, building it, your business on the side, um, as well as um, pricing. What are people going to think of me? Who am I? That imposter syndrome. Who am I to think that I can charge this? Um, who am I to think that I can do this work? Um, you know. So I think that those are some of the common ones that those can even come up even when you're in entrepreneurship full time, um, pricing what you're worth. I think that um, what happens is we, especially in this patriarchal society, I think that we feel guilt about, you know, having higher prices. And I think that some of that is also influenced by what our peers say and what our peers say about selling and what our peers say and think about prices. And if you surround yourself with a lot of people who don't spend money um, very much on things that matter to them and don't spend like, you know, money on high ticket coaching or anything like that. It can be really easy to take that truth onto our own lives and say, well, no one's going to pay for mine. And I'm here to tell you that that has nothing to do with you at all. I think it's just important to do your market research, do your research in regards to your area of expertise make sure that there's a market and then, you know, forget the rest. Like it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter whether, you know, Susie, you know, Susie Q is charging, you know, I don't know, like 20 bucks for something that you would charge, you know, 150 bucks for that has nothing to do with you. That's her prices. That's what she feels comfortable with, but that doesn't need to be your story. And it doesn't need to affect the impact that you want to make. 
with your, you know, with your customers or with your, um, you know, people who will be consuming your products or your services. So I think that there's a lot of fears that can come up when you are building your empire. And, you know, I think it's so worth it to have any type of coach or, you know, mentor to help walk you through that because it can feel really lonely. And our biz besties and people who are in similar fields as us or on the same journey, they can be um, a support system, but sometimes it's just not enough and you need more and that's okay. There are multiple things I want to touch there. I'm going to start with charging what you're worth first is it, so many of us have difficulty doing yes. this, but why do you feel like it is that we as women, like this has been factually documented, we as women typically have a much harder time with this than men because men can like walk into a room and even if they're just, you know, like negotiating a, a new salary or something like that, it's not even a question that of course they're going to negotiate and, and they're going to set their price right. and go with it. Whereas women struggle with this. Why do you yeah. feel like that is? Um, you know, I think my personal opinion is that I think when you look at history and history of women and our rights here in the U.S., I'm only speaking about the U.S. specifically, um, because that's what I have the most knowledge about. I think that historically, we've just had to fight harder. You know, we've always had to fight harder to even walk into the same room as men. So when you look at it that way, to me, it just makes so much sense that we would struggle with charging our worth when we couldn't even sometimes own the room we would walk in when it came to um, being in the same rooms as men. So if we couldn't even do that, how at least do that and feel good about it and not be, you know, laughed out of the room? How is it? I mean, to me, to me, it just, it doesn't even surprise me that we would struggle with saying like, hey, this is what I charge, or this is what I demand to be paid at the workplace. Um, to me, it's just historical. Um, and I think we're doing a lot of amazing work and bringing and raising awareness to it. And I think that um, we've come a long way and we're still in a space of privilege in comparison to other places and other spaces around the world. But I think that here, it's because of our history, man. I, th I think it's because of um, oppression, the oppression of women. Yeah, um, I think that sense. that's what happens. And then even when you look at it, um, you know, from a racial perspective, um, African-American women, you know, are also paid less than their counterparts than, you know, Caucasian women. Why is that? History is history. Um, so I think that it has a lot to do. People like to say like, oh, you know, there's no need to talk about the past. Absolutely. We should talk about the past because it matters. <laughs> It matters because it affects the fabric of our lives. It affects every fabric of our lives. So I think a lot of it has to do with the history of oppression of women. And then, of course, I think um, the racial divide in the U.S., I think that that also impacts, um, you know, um, women of color as well. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up because that was actually my next point was that women of color have an even more difficult time yeah. than white women dealing yes. with, with this issue. and. The, the numbers are shocking when, when you see yes. that there's still such a divide, not only between women and men, but then the divide in terms of a racial profile of right. women. It's, it's really un unfortunate and we have to look at history if we're ever going to make any sure. significant changes with that. So I, I'm glad you, you mentioned that. 
Um, I wanted to talk to you about, and then I, I promise they're almost done. I could talk to oh, you all day. Oh, you're fine. Girl. <laughs> I know. I know. I love talking to you. This is so much fun. <laughs> you mentioned isolation, and I actually um, had written down a, a question previously that I wanted to ask you about that entrepreneurship, especially when we're doing this in the online space, can be so isolating, so incredibly isolating. Like, how do you notice this affecting? some of the women that, that you work with or even yourself and how yeah. do we deal with it and kind of offset some of the effects? Like, you know, biz besties are, are amazing, right. but sometimes, you know, they might not be available and, and right. it's harder to connect sometimes. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, I noticed this happening a lot. I think that online it's very easy to just um, blend in mm -hmm. and to just, you know, there's maybe you know, people whose posts that you comment on or stories that you comment on, but then it's not really going beyond the DMs <laughs> or the comments underneath the, the, the posts. So I think that um, what ends up happening is that people feel alone. They start to feel really sad, misunderstood. And I think that we can combat that by taking it beyond the DM, man. Like, who cares if you need to fly to see that person? Just to be honest, I think we just need to like get off our high horse and <laughs> to do things that feel uncomfortable. So actually genuinely message someone or video message someone and ask them how they're doing. Send them now Instagram has voice notes. Send them a cute voice note. You know, like hey, thinking about you, how's your day been going and ask them about them. You know, like don't barge in and start talking about your own stuff. Um I think especially when you're trying to build a relationship, make it about that other person because that's what it's about, man. It's about relationships. So I think taking taking these relationships that can seem super super that can seem really superficial from offline into in person and being really strategic about that. And if you notice you connect with somebody and you guys are always commenting on each other's stuff. Like take it beyond the inter take it beyond the internet. Seriously, I've done that and it changed my life. I, I met would not agree more. Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. Like right? Doesn't it change your life? Like you just feel like I actually know this person. I can actually vouch for this person, and I can actually recommend people to this person, feeling really good about it. You know, like I think um, Angie Lee, my girl Angie Lee, she, um, I don't know if you've heard of her. Yes. But she, okay. Oh, okay. I wasn't quite sure. So it, I just recorded a pod episode with her, by the way. Like I'm so pumped. Oh, I'm excited to, to hear out. it. But yeah. It's going to be so good. It's about mental health. So it's super, super good. I'm excited because her audience is super wooly. So That's the <laughs> I, best. Think that, I think they don't just give this really good balance because I do have some woo in me too. But um. Yeah. So I, 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 she had her in-person event pays to be brave and where 500 women gathered together. And I met so many female entrepreneurs, so many. And so now when they comment on my stuff, I actually can connect that with an actual personality and an actual person, you know, and I met them. And so I saw how fun they were. And from just going to that live event, flying there, getting an Airbnb by myself, doing all of those motions by myself, I was able to cultivate relationships with all these people. And then people start to know, like, and trust you because they met you in real life. You know, I think that it's awesome that we can develop a know, like, and trust by never meeting them. That's the beauty of the internet. But I also think how much more beautiful is it when you actually get to meet them, you know, and they're actually the real deal. Um, so I think that we just need to get off our high horses, stop being shy and feeling like we look needy 
and just reach out. And if they don't, if they don't reciprocate, oh, well, next. (laughs) Like, it's really not that deep. It's really not that deep because you don't have to, you don't have to have that person as a friend, but I think it's important. We need friends. And so if it's not them, it's going to be somebody else. Um, so that's my soapbox about that. I think that people get really, really comfortable with, you know, keeping it, keeping it easy, keeping it online, saying I'm too busy. I can't do this. I can't do that. And sure. Yeah. Protect your energy, but then don't complain that you're not connecting with people. That's all I got to say. Yes. Oh girl. I am like applauding over here. Everything you just said is so true. And that's been my experience as well, that those in-person meetings and events like I, there, there are women in the online space now that I've only actually met in person once. Right. And I can tell you, I will probably be friends with them until like the day I die. <laughs> because See, it's, it's how beautiful it's is that? Fun. Yeah. And it's amazing. Like when you actually put yourself out there and work towards creating a friendship and building on it and supporting each other, it, it's amazing what, when you give, it's going to give back to you. And I really love um, the voice notes. I am all about voice notes. I will voice note yes. people. I love that Instagram started introducing it in the DMs. I've been using Me that. Too. It's awesome. And, and just hearing someone's voice is already like one step above just writing yes. a message, shooting them, you know, a written yeah. DM. Yes. Absolutely. Oh yes. my gosh. So good. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 I love this. <laughs> so Popsy, tell us where we can find you, you know, all the goods that you have for everybody. Yeah. I know you've got some awesome resources to offer people. I'm just, I'm so excited to share you. Yes, you're so, you're so sweet. So you can find <laughs> me on Instagram at Topsy Vandenbosch, T-O-P-S-I-E-V-A-N-D-E-N-B-O-S-C-H. You can find me at Topsy Vandenbosch. Um, I have many trainings, um, just random stuff that I post to my stories, funny things. You might see me dancing at some point. Um, you have the best stories. On, oh, <laughs> oh, well, I, well, thank you. <laughs> Um, I love to speak on issues in regards to uplifting women of color, especially in the online space. So I really talk about like a variety of things, but I, I mostly talk about mindset um, and how you can just be your best self and be able to make bank while still having confidence. So you can find me on Instagram. You can find me on my website, www.topsyvandenbosch.com. I actually have a freebie, the top 26 reasons why you need a mindset coach. And it actually is, ends up being a, um, a quiz. So it's super tangible with super tangible results. And you can kind of see where your mindset is at currently in your business and whether or not a mindset coach is even what you need. So um, I wanted to provide that resource for people because I think that there's a lot of misconceptions about what a mindset coach is and what they is and what they aren't. So that's also something I wanted to provide. Um, I also offer um, right now, my only offer is a mindset reset intensive session. Um, and that's where you and I dig into one main issue affecting you and your business and we come with the plan of how to tackle it. So yeah, those are the places that you can find me. I'm so excited that I got to chat with you. Oh yes. And I'm going to make sure all of that will be referenced uh, in the show notes, including your quiz and stuff, which I need to go take. I meant to before (laughs) this episode and I need to go take that because I'm really excited about it. And I have one final question for you. Of course. I always ask every guest is if you could offer people just one piece of advice on growing into the best possible version of themselves, what would it be? Oh my gosh. In growing, this is going to sound, so I think that one of the main things that holds people back is what other people are going to say. And I'm going to say that people aren't thinking about you. Yes. 
people are not thinking about you. We are, even if you do hear about somebody saying something in passing, guess what? They probably forgot the next day or they don't have better things going on in their lives. So I think it's just important to remember that what we think people are thinking about us, people aren't thinking about us at all. They have their heads down, worried about their own stuff. They're not worried about you, boo. So. (laughs) I love it. Oh my gosh. Topsy, I just, I have to acknowledge you for just your amazing work. You're absolutely infectious laugh. Like my, my partner's like, what are you giggling about? I'm like, it's Topsy. <laughs> Whenever I'm watching your story, it's like, you are just the best. And I am, I'm just beyond grateful that we got to connect and thank, thank you so you. much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Yes, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I hope you have a wonderful day. You too. <laughs> That episode was absolutely jam-packed. So I'm so excited for you to go get to know Topsy. Um, Go find her on Instagram. Like I said on the podcast episode, I adore her stories. She always has something amazing to share and presents it in just the most fun, incredible way. And please make sure to check out all the full show notes over at roomtogrowpodcast.com. Everything will be listed there, all the resources mentioned, and you can make sure to go and connect with Topsy there. And if you love this episode as much as I did, please share it on social media. Take a screenshot, put it up on Instagram, tag myself over at Emily Goff Coach. Uh, Make sure to tag Topsy as well. And we would absolutely love to thank you for listening in person. I just love seeing um, the real human beings who listen to this podcast and it means the absolute world to me. So please take a screenshot, share it with your friends. And there are so many amazing nuggets in here that so many women would get the absolute most benefit out of. So thanks so much for listening and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much for listening to the Room to Grow podcast today. All show notes and references can be found over at roomtogrowpodcast.com. And can you do me one huge favor before you go though? If you can take a a screenshot of this episode and tag me on social media, I would absolutely love to see who's listening and get to connect with you and thank you. And if you could leave a review on iTunes, that would go a long way and make such a huge difference. It really helps to get the word out there, get more amazing guests on the show and helps to get all of this information out to the world. Looking forward to growing with you.